Hey friends, welcome to TLC. So excited we are in week two of Shock the World. Do you remember the middle school lunchroom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I totally remember. And I'm an 80s kid. Grew up in Flint, Michigan, Longfellow Middle School, and uh, at that time uh, in my family's life, we, we, my, my dad didn't make a whole lot of money, so we qualified for that free and reduced hot lunch. What, what? I'm just saying, like, that was pretty epic, pretty awesome, especially because on Fridays, now don't put the picture up quite yet, I want to know which of y'all had hot lunch in middle school because you will absolutely know what got served on Fridays if you had it. What was it? Pizza. That's right. Pizza. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember that? Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you. Now, I will say, that's like the nastiest pizza probably ever made. But you couldn't wait for Fridays, right? You knew you was going to get that big old scoop of inedible rubber corn, all right? Uh, I never got, uh, put that thing back up there. I, I never got the, uh, what was it, uh, top left there, uh, a pretzel? Who had a pretzel? This must have been some rich, some rich kid's school because we didn't get that. We did get that chocolate milk, though, and the little, like, fruit, but it was that pizza, right? That was the bomb. Now, I will say this, though. After you would get your tray... That's actually when the real drama began, right? Because it wasn't just about going through the line and getting your food. It was all about what? That's right. Who you sat by, right? What table you sat at. It was always trying to figure out, where do I fall in on the hierarchy? Now, uh, there was a movie came out back in 04 called Mean Girls. I'm not recommending the movie, but it does show very clearly what this was like. Go ahead and watch this clip. Here, this map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware. Beware of when things lock up and just cut out. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to take a minute to come back. So uh, I'm just going to explain the rest of the clip, okay? She basically winds up getting invited to sit down with the plastics, is what they called them. And they were like the three queen bees of the school. And they invited her in and they said, oh, yeah, on Wednesdays we wear pink. So she showed up with a pink shirt. And then they start explaining all the rules of what you have to do to be able to fit in with this crew. Now, it's kind of been like that for a while. Oh, we got it? Uh, do you want to watch it? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, we got to gotta see the beginning again, but that's all right. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware. I think that's probably, that's probably our best. We're going to go from there. All right, so 
<laughs> and yeah, now, now you're going to have to go. Like the one thing that I said I'm not recommending, now you're going to want to go watch. So that's okay. Um, so one of the things that they say uh, in there at the end is uh, she's talking about how they, you have to invite, or you have to ask the rest of the group before you can invite anybody else to sit there. Because that's how important it is. Like, she's like, you, you, wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looked good on you, would you? And she's like, I wouldn't. And she's like, right. So the whole point is that who we sit with, right, who we share a table with is absolutely telling of what we think about ourselves and what we think about others. There's an anthropologist named Mary Douglas. Uh, and she says, in the ancient world, meals were what she calls boundary markers, okay? They kind of described who you actually liked, who you thought you were, how you felt like you fit in to all of society. Meals were boundary markers. And let's be honest, not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed in the last two, three thousand years. Uh, There's still a lot of truth within that today. Who you eat with shows who you think is in and who you think is out. Not very long ago, pre-Civil Rights South, you could find a sign on a restaurant that said, no blacks allowed. In the 40s, out west, you could find a sign on a restaurant that said, uh, no Japs can come in, using a derogatory label for Japanese. Uh, You could find as early as the mid-60s in the UK, That very sign right there, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. This is not that long ago. Now, uh, here in GR, we're still segregated, aren't we? You're like, what do you mean? No, 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 like, anybody can eat anywhere. Like, nobody, yeah, we might not be segregated by race in our restaurants, but we're absolutely segregated by class. Rich people eat at certain restaurants. Middle class people eat at other restaurants. Poor people eat at other restaurants. We have been using the table as a means to divide, as a means to figure out where we fit in the socioeconomic status of our culture and our day. It's been happening from the earliest of times to now. And friends, if you want to shock the world, you've got to share your table. If you want to shock the world, You've got to share the table. Friends, if we as a church are going to shock the world, we have to be people who invite others to the table. And not just folks who are above us or are already our friends. We need to shock the world by inviting the kind of people that Jesus invited to the table. Uh, Tim Chester, he's an author and a theologian. He once asked this question. Okay, He said, how would you complete the following sentence? And I'm going to throw it up there. The Son of Man came. Now, the Son of Man, if you're newer to church, Son of Man is just like another title for Jesus. So you could just say, Jesus came, dot, dot, dot. How would you answer that question? If you're joining us online or you're here in the room, I want you to turn to some folks that you're with and I want you to try to answer that question. Uh, this is an open book test. You want to pull out your phone and type it in and see what Google says. That's totally fine. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Go ahead and turn to the people around you and I want you to answer that question. The Son of Man, or Jesus, came, dot, dot, dot. Go ahead.
I'll even give you a hint. It says it right in the Bible, so you can do that little Google. Look it up in the back of your Bible. The Son of Man came. Anybody feel like they've got one? Like, oh, I got one. I got one. Yeah. Yes? Seek and save the lost. Boom! Well done. That's one. Yeah, very good. Anybody else got one? Uh, yes. It doesn't say that quite in Scripture, but that is exactly what happens in Scripture. That's what he does. Well done, Nazi. Very good. The Scripture actually says three things that the Son of Man came, okay? Uh, the first two were actually why he came. We see them uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, all right? And then what we just heard over here, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, those are the first two. They share why Jesus came, all right? But the third one actually shares how he did it. The third scripture explains how the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's interesting, right? That is not kind of what you expect. All right, we got why, right? He came to seek and save the lost, right? What Nazi said, he's going to die on the cross for our sins, be resurrected back to life. How does he do it? What's the how? The how is he came eating and drinking. It's kind of a funny way to think about Jesus' method of serving others, and Jesus' method of seeking and saving the lost. Uh, but this is actually one of the main things he did. Do you know why? Because to share the table with someone is to share your life with them. To share the table with someone is to share your life with them. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at just uh, two passages in Luke. One's a story and one's just a single verse this morning. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. It's a pretty uh, famous story, fairly familiar story. But I want to give us a little bit of background before we dive into it. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. All right? If you grew up in church, instantly there's a song that starts playing in your head. Zacchaeus was a... Uh-huh. And a wee little man was he. Man, it's so messed up. Like, why they got to hate on short people? What's up with that? I don't even get it. So, before we can dive into the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, though, we need to understand what's happening. So, I'm going to throw a map up of Israel just to give us a little bit. Uh, my wife's been telling me for years that we should, uh, she's like, you need to use more maps. All right? People need to see stuff. Like, it helps me so much. And then I went and heard some, uh, some other pastor this past week say, you should use maps. I was like, yeah, we totally should. I've been saying that for years. So for my wife, got ourselves a map. All right. Now, if you look at the top, okay, the very top, you see Syria. Right below that, you're going to see Galilee. That actually, the little round thing is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did most of his ministry up there in the northern part of Israel. Right before Jesus comes to Jerusalem to be crucified, to die, he's making his way down, probably through the Decapolis and uh, uh, all the way down until we get to below Samaria into, if you see the Dead Sea at the very bottom, just above the Dead Sea, you see Jericho, okay? This is where Zacchaeus lives. Jericho is a very, very wealthy town, all right? Uh, Zacchaeus is a Jewish man, but he is seen as like the worst of the worst because he is a traitor to his own people. Right now, they're under uh, Roman occupation. The Romans, all right, have 
occupied Israel. And he has basically been a turncoat. He, he sells out his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters to become a tax collector for the Roman government. Now, the Roman government excised huge taxes on all of the countries that they had conquered. Israel was no different. However, Zacchaeus not only sold out his fellow Jews to be a tax collector for the Roman Empire, but he actually, as most tax collectors were known in the day, would also then skim off the top. If Rome said you owed 50% for taxes, he would come backed up with the whole Roman garrison behind him and say, yeah, actually you owe 70%. He would give that 50 to Rome. He would keep that 20 himself. Became a very wealthy man, also a very hated man. Now, we also need to understand something that when Jesus meets Zacchaeus in Jericho, he's passing through on his way to Jerusalem. It's possible that it was the very next day that he shows up in Jerusalem, or maybe two days later, when they have the triumphal entry and everybody's putting their coats on the ground and they're like, yes, Jesus, you're the one, Hosanna, because they all think Jesus is going to become the conquering king, right? They want somebody to come and kick Rome's butt. And they think that's what Jesus is going to do. So this is right before this is all about to happen. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho. It's about 15 miles away. It's about a six, seven hour walk there. He's so close to Jerusalem where the last week of his life is about to happen. And was passing through. A man there, uh, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, interesting, uh, Zacchaeus actually, uh, the, the, the kind of root of Zacchaeus is Zacchaei or Zacchaei, and it actually means innocent one. And the irony here is that he's the least innocent of probably any of the people that Jesus encounters throughout his time. By the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. So he wasn't just a tax, he was actually one of the people who oversaw all the tax collectors. And so he was able to get incredibly wealthy as a result of skimming and stealing from his fellow Jews. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, a lot of times we assume that Zacchaeus is the one who's short. But in the Greek, it doesn't actually say who's short. We don't know who uh, they're talking about. Is Jesus short and the crowds are tall? And so he can't see him? Or is it Zacchaeus that's short? Now, because there's no other mentions of Jesus being like uber, uber short, uh, we think it's probably Zacchaeus, but Scripture doesn't actually tell us, all right? Your little wee little man song might not actually be about Zacchaeus, okay? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, a lot of times when we hear the word sycamore tree, we think like, man, how in the heck would he ever climbed up a sycamore? Like those things are like huge, tall, big. and uh, This is what a sycamore, a sycamore fig tree would have looked like in uh, around kind of the near east, okay? See how the branches are actually quite low, quite easy to climb up into that? So Zacchaeus, he's not like way like 30 feet up in a tree. He's probably just a few feet above so that he can kind of see over everybody's head and be able to get a picture, a view, a look at Jesus. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest, to be the guest of a sinner. 
Why are the people ticked off? I've given you a whole host of various reasons why they might be ticked off. But go ahead and turn to the folks next to you and answer that question. Why is everybody so ticked off right now? Go ahead. If you're online, talk to somebody that you're sitting with. All right, there's a whole host of answers to this question, all right? A number of questions, a number of different uh, possible answers. What are, what are some that you guys mentioned? Why are the people ticked off? What's that, jealousy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they think Jesus is the conquering king. Like, they're expecting him to, like, kick Rome's butt, right? And they're like, yo, yo, I want to, like, well, how, do, how do he get to spend time with Zacchaeus? Like, I want to spend time with Jealousy, that's a great one. Why else? Yes. Yes, exactly. They're like, hey, he's cheating everybody. Why are you going to go and hang out with him? Like, that's not the kind of guy. Like, if you're really a prophet, like, you shouldn't be hanging out with that dude. Like, he's not a good dude. He's a cheater. Awesome. Very good. What else? Yeah, sharing a table with the enemy. You can't do that. You guys remember what I said earlier, the, the statement uh, by Mary Douglas, the anthropologist, right? Meals are boundary markers. They tell everybody else who's in and who's out. And Jesus was definitely in, right? I mean, folks was loving on Jesus. They're excited about what they think he's going to do. Jesus is in, like all the way in, like top of the top in, right? And Zacchaeus, he's out, like all the way out, all right? Like bottom of the bottom. He's a cheater. Nobody likes him. And they're like, Jesus, you can't sully your good name by hanging out with this dude. They're jealous. Keep reading. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says salvation comes to his house. Why? Because Zacchaeus decides to obey God and do what is right. He has table fellowship. They share a meal together. And it transforms Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus never in a million years thought that Jesus was going to do what he did. He just wanted to get a look at him. Man, is this dude real? Is he really what everybody keeps saying about? Is there maybe still hope for me? You know those are questions that are mulling around in Zacchaeus' mind. Maybe he went up in the tree because everybody hates him. He's just trying to get away from some folks. And when Jesus sees him and says, hey, I want to come over and hang out. And Zacchaeus can't even believe it. Like, this act of mercy and generosity and hospitality that Jesus offers to Zacchaeus in that moment, which is kind of funny because Jesus invites himself over. <laughs> in that moment, Zacchaeus' heart is transformed. He starts to think, maybe there's something better than just getting wealthy. Maybe there is still hope. Maybe there's redemption. Maybe regardless of my past, I can have a different future. That's what Jesus does 
when he invites us to the table. I want you to flip back to Luke chapter 7. Um, we're just going to look at this uh, one last passage. It's uh, actually the how passage. We see it in Luke chapter 7. It's actually interesting. Um, nobody talks about food and meals more than Luke. Uh, there's actually a commentary on the gospel of Luke, on, on the book. And uh, not the gospel of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. And in it, uh, they actually entitle this commentary, uh, Eating Your Way Through Luke. Because <laughs> that's actually what happens. There, there's more discussions about Jesus eating with people, talking about how the kingdom of God is like bread or like wine or uh, food is intermingled, like from the very beginning all the way to the very end. There are so many instances of this. I started to try to count them up. There's too many. <laughs> I had to stop. Luke chapter 7, verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, Jesus says, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what people thought of him. Now, he's actually contrasting himself with John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for Jesus, but Jesus came eating and drinking. Uh, Michael Frost, he's an Australian theologian, he says this. He says, Jesus was neither of those things, talking about being a glutton or a drunkard, but obviously his willingness to eat and drink with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes gave his enemies plenty of ammunition. So when he comes to give his first followers something to do to remember him by, what is it? Ah, yes, a meal. Jesus, the drunkard and the glutton, instructed his followers to eat and drink in remembrance of him. Frost says, the table ought to be the primary symbol of the Christian gathering. It represents hospitality, inclusivity, generosity, grace, and ultimately love. He says, hospitality is beautifully subversive. In a world where everybody's telling you, don't get out of your lane, always be reaching up, not reaching down. Uh, we're radically inclusive unless you disagree with me. Jesus says that the table, sharing a meal, is beautifully subversive. It turns everything that the world is trying to tell us up on its head. Jesus has been doing that all the time. If somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you to go one mile, go the second mile with them. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. That's not what I say. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus has always been trying to show us that the way up is actually the way down. Who wants to be the greatest among you? He will be the servant of all. Look, he says, at the model that I've done. And Jesus bends to wash his disciples' feet. Uh, friends, that's what hospitality does. Hospitality, Christian hospitality, the sharing of a table is a game changer. If you want to shock the world, you got to invite people over for dinner. Now, there's a difference though, let me make this clear, between entertainment and hospitality, okay? Let me share the difference with you. Uh, I think I first heard this from my wife. She said um, this, uh, I don't remember where she got it, but she said, entertaining is all about the host, whereas hospitality is all about the guest. 
See, entertain is uh, how nice can I make this look so I can show you all my cool stuff. Hospitality is all about how well can I make you feel welcomed and at home and safe, secure. Uh, Entertaining is about exclusion, who gets invited and who doesn't get invited. Hospitality is all about inclusion, making someone feel welcome. Entertainment is all about performance. How great can I make this look? How cool can it be? How much can I wow you? Hospitality is all about service. How much can I make you feel like you belong in this space? I'm not worried about whether you're impressed with what I can do. I'm more interested in making sure that you feel like this is a place for you to belong. Uh, entertainment is all about stratification, right? Did you get the invite? Where do you rank? Are you one of the really good friends that gets invited to this one or not? Whereas hospitality is all about justice for the poor. It's an opportunity to invite reaching down to show people that they belong, that there is a place. Uh, Luke chapter 14, this is my own little translation of it, but it says, uh, Jesus says, when you throw a party, don't invite your... Let me just stop for a second. Jesus assumed that his followers would throw parties. Okay, that's probably just important for us to recognize from the beginning, okay? Jesus says, when you throw a party, he says, don't invite your friends and family or the rich and popular. Now, he's using hyperbole here. He's not like you can never invite your friends and family, all right? Or if somebody's got money, you're like you're never allowed to invite them. Like, that's not the point. But he says, don't invite friends and family of the rich and popular because they might invite you back and then you'll get your reward. Instead, he says, invite the outcasts, the poor, those with special needs, and you'll not only be a blessing, you'll receive a blessing from God himself. So, friends, this is our application, all right? Last week, you were supposed to bless three people, all right? I don't know who all took the challenge, all right? Uh, I had uh, some fun opportunities this past week to go after those three people. Truth is, uh, I still got one left to do. But I hope that you took that challenge. How do I bless people? Because we want that to become a, a weekly routine, a daily routine. That you think, about well, who can I encourage today? Who could I give a gift to? Who could I do something that's going to make them go like, whoa, thank you? This week... I'm giving you a new challenge, all right? And it's simply this. Who will you invite to share at your table this week? All right? Your homework is to invite somebody over and show them hospitality, not entertaining. All right? Remember the differences. All right? So your house doesn't have to be perfect. Because some of you are like, yo, man, I, like, I'm in college. I room with three other dudes. You know what a house with four dudes living in it looks like? All right, I'm kind of gender stereotyping, apologies, but it's real. Look, entertaining means you got to have, like, the lockdown crib with all the nice plates and everything else, right? Hospitality, though, is not about how nice the house is. It's about how you make somebody feel when you invite them in. So we want to give hospitality, show them hospitality. Now, this, some, this person needs to be somebody who, at least at this point, wouldn't claim to be a follower of Jesus. That's the one thing that I'm going to ask, all right? Could be somebody who is, like, uh, to the rest of the world, viewed as maybe an outcast. Who is somebody that you could invite in and share a meal with, or a beer with, or an ice cream sundae with, or all three, if you want? That's kind of a heavy meal. But go for it, if that's what you need, okay? That's your homework for the week. What I want you to do 
It's just right now, look at the person that you came with, and I just want you to say to them, okay, don't lie, because if you're like, man, I ain't doing this, that's fine. But turn to the person, and this is your little account, say, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, uh, I'm going to need you to help remind me after the service. Go ahead, turn to them right now. If you're online, turn to somebody and tell them. All right, I want to close with one story. It's a gal named Rachel Dimsky. She is a blogger and an author, and she tells this story. She said, my dad became a Christian over burnt cheese on toast. He was in his 20s, attending grad school in England. There were a handful of people in his cohort, and only one of them, Chris, was a Christian when they started. I've heard about Chris since I was a child sitting on my dad's knee, about his sense of humor, his generosity, the thick slices of English cheddar he melted over toast in his tiny kitchenette. He used to invite my dad over for tea and toast and slowly would share the gospel steadily and faithfully with love and kindness. Eventually, through the friendship of Chris and others, my dad encountered Jesus. In fact, six people in that cohort became Christians during their time there. All of them were influenced and discipled by Chris. She says, Chris died from cancer a few years ago. And as I tried to write a letter to his family, I was overwhelmed by the ripple effect his life had on so many. Chris wasn't an influencer. He wasn't famous or a professional evangelist. He just practiced hospitality in the way a grad student knows how. And because of his everyday, ordinary faithfulness, he ended up influencing a swath of people eternally, myself included. Friends, hospitality is the way of Jesus. And hospitality, like Jesus, is beautifully subversive. If you want to shock the world, you need to share your table. Father God, we don't just want to be people who talk about it. We want to be people who are about it. We want to be people of the table. Just like Jesus was willing to be called a drunkard, a glutton, because of how he came, eating and drinking. God, they said those things because of who he ate and drank with. He wasn't afraid to reach up and to reach down. Everybody was welcome at his table. And for Jesus, it was always about hospitality, to show them that they could experience being in with God. God, would you allow us to use our tables to do the same thing? God, let us shock a world that is so divided right now. But God, the... They only want to be friends if we think exactly the same way. God, would you give us opportunities to invite friends, co-workers, neighbors, strangers, God, people who disagree with us, who don't think the same way as us, people who have nothing to offer us in return. God, allow us to invite them in to show them that, God, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does 
That's why he died on the cross and rose again. We want to live lives that are shocking so people will say, what is up with them? What is up with her? What is up with him? And we can say, I'll tell you, (laughs) it's Jesus and what he's done. God, let us be those kind of people for your glory that Jesus Christ may be raised up and known and made famous, that folks would find him and experience his love, his acceptance, his death and resurrection on their behalf, a life transformed forever. Help us do it, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.